A minimal creed, an ample science, and maximal faith. That is our aim. Welcome to Experiential Theology, the podcast where we investigate and talk about the relation between human experience and knowledge of God. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode five of the Experiential Theology podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Bible, specifically about reading the Bible. So this episode is going to be linked to episode two, where we talked about the distinction between the Bible and the gospel. Today, we're going to just talk about what is the Bible? Why should we read it? What are the dangers often associated with reading the Bible and what we can do about that? All right, Ben, how are you doing? Good, thanks. All right, well, let's get to it. So what is the Bible, Ben, and why should we read it? Okay, so I think that the most helpful way to think of the Bible is as an anthology of literature or a reading list or a curriculum. So so you went to the library or you're going to college and you're taking an English class and they're going to tell you to buy and say an anthology of American literature. It's going to be a selection of readings by people who are significant to say American literature. And in the same way, the Bible is just a selection of readings um, that's sort of been selected, not necessarily by a person, but selected by communities over time. And it's come down to us. Uh, so I think, I think that's, that's, that's the simplest way to think of it right up front. It's an anthology because it's a series of books. Uh, what's interesting is that this anthology is transmitted through different faith communities. So the Bible that we hold in our hands has come to us because down through the centuries, people, different people in different groups have thought that these writings are significant. It doesn't mean that they have fully endorsed everything in there, but it means that they have they have come to the point where they felt like this is worth preserving for the next generation and passing it on to us. Um, everything else has vanished from history. So uh, another thing to think about is that the Bible is this anthology, but it's also shared today by lots of different faith communities. So, so um, Protestant Christians read the Bible, Catholic Christians read the Bible, Pentecostal Christians read the Bible, uh, Mormon Christians read the Bible, um, Muslims read the Bible, Jewish people read uh, the Bible or, or their Bible, which, which, which Christians would often call their Old Testament. And then they have other writings as well. And, and Muslims have other writings as well. So, so when we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about something that lots of people are sharing from lots of different perspectives. And we all have this, uh, this intersection in our, in our reading lists for, for spiritual growth. And, and this is an interesting phenomenon. Excellent. I think that's a great way to define what the Bible is in terms that a lot of people can understand. It makes it relatable to anyone who's been in a high school literature class, for example. We can understand what an anthology is. Okay, excellent. So within the Bible, we know that there are many different theological perspectives. Well, you may know that, but lots of people don't know that. They think that there's just a biblical theology. <laughs> Right, but if they listen to chapter two, episode two. Episode two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so yeah, a lot of people, like you said, they have this flat view of the Bible. Like there's, there's many books, they're all equally important. Every verse is equally important. There's one unified message. There's no contradictions or tensions whatsoever. And it's perfect. 
because this is the word of God. And why would it not be perfect that way, right? But uh, as you and I know, we, we've been reading and studying the good book for a while now, and we realize that there are tensions, there are contradictions, and there are theological conflicts, even within, for example, the new, the pages of the New Testament. Uh, so in episode two, we said that in spite of all this, we still believe that certainly within the New Testament for us as Christians, there is still what we would call a central theme, which is the gospel, the kerygma, the proclamation, the message that we can still all glean. Absolutely. And so, yeah, the kerygma or the proclamation of the gospel is, um, is really what holds the Bible together for, for me and, and for many Christians. But uh, yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people think of the Bible as if it were a textbook written by a single author, a.k.a. God, <laughs> and therefore it's perfect, perfect textbook, all the answers to all the questions. Um, and, and, and for that reason, once, if that's the way you think, the Bible is very flat because you just are not willing to see any difference of opinion between any authors. And, and you have this program of harmonizing where you have to make it all fit together as if it was a single author. But if you go back to the idea of an anthology, that doesn't make any sense. An anthology of American literature is not a selection of readings that all agree with each other. It's a selection of readings that are all significant. And the significance is largely often in the contrast between the different pieces in the anthology. So it's, it's a good thing for us to have a contrast between two authors in, in the Bible, maybe even between two sections of a book in the Bible, like the beginning or the end of Isaiah or something, for instance. Um, it's not a bad thing. That's what an anthology is. And it may be that if the Bible is meant to provoke us onto, um, onto spiritual growth of some sort, that spiritual growth may come through being face-to-face -face with these conflicts between different perspectives. Uh, I like to go back to the book of Job. Like the book of Job is a, is a long conversation between somebody who's suffering and his friends. Um, and I think that the book of Job is a little bit like the Bible in a nutshell. You've got a couple of voices and they argue with each other about what's going on faced with the same reality that somebody's suffering. And they just argue with each other all the way through. So if I'm ever on Twitter and I see somebody quoting the book of Job, I always wonder like, did they know that that verse was supposed to be one of the verses that was wrong? <laughs> or did they just assume that the whole book was correct? Like Job and his friends have a deep disagreement about the meaning of his suffering. Uh, and, and, and that disagreement itself is valuable without even knowing what the answer to the disagreement is. And so, so we can get a lot of value. We don't need to apologize for these contradictions. They're not contradictions because it's different people talking. It's not a contradiction when different people disagree with each other. Um, it means that they're both grappling to describe a shared experience, uh, I think. Yeah, so anyway, what, what's, the, what's the shared experience? And I think that the shared experience is this gospel um, or in Greek, the kerygma of the New Testament. I think that the Bible is, at least the parts that I find especially valuable are all trying to say something valuable about this gospel, this shared experience. And, um, and different perspectives are good when it comes to describing something that's indescribable. Yes, excellent. I think uh, we have laid a good foundation given a good description of what the Bible is and how it functions, more or less. Now, let's talk about why should we bother to read this book? 
why should we read it? Well, I don't know. You go first. <laughs> okay. Well, there are lots of reasons. I have known people that have no spiritual interest in the Bible whatsoever. Like when I was in college, I had a friend. His name was Matt. He lived a block and a half from my house, and he often gave me rights to school. And this guy was just really into religion. He was an English major, but he was minoring in religious studies. He was just really fascinated by religious textbooks. And so we had all these conversations about the Bible. He took Bible classes and he loved it. He, again, was not religious. He didn't practice a faith, but he was just really fascinated by the antiquity of the book, the historical context. He enjoyed the book. There's a lot of good poetry in the book. So, I mean, that's a good reason to read the Bible, even if you have no religious or theological interest whatsoever. Just from a purely historical point of view, it's a fascinating read. Also, another way to put that too is that it's like everybody is reading it, didn't you know? <laughs> Maybe that's not quite true, but many people throughout history, at least in Canada and the United States, have read the Bible. It's um, and so it's deep into our into our cultures. And so, at the very least, if you just want to know what are the, some of the undercurrents in 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 the way society is works. A lot of those undercurrents come from the shared piece of literature. And so there's a very pragmatic reason to be familiar with it. Although that may be decreasing in value over time. Yeah, also uh, in different traditions, the Bible is considered, I don't wanna say it's considered a sacrament, but it's definitely considered a means of grace. So in other words, reading the Bible prayerfully is considered to be a way in which the spirit of God works and not just gives you information, but there's some kind of encounter with the words of Christ, with the gospel, with the charisma. So there is a spiritual benefit, I would say, all branches of Christianity would say. And, you know, they have different uh, ways to go about this, but uh, I would agree with that. I think we can read it uh, to learn more about the world, the ancient world of the Bible, Israel, the early Christian movement, but we can also read it for obtaining spiritual benefit as a result. Yeah, uh, so spiritual benefit, let's talk about that. Um, so at the very uh, least, experiential theology that we're interested in here is about the present experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ in some sense. Uh, what does the Bible have to do with that? Like if I'm experiencing the gospel and whatever that means in the present, how do I, why should I read the Bible? Well, the gospel is with a history and a continuity. So I'm never, it's too late for this. I'm never the first person to experience the gospel. There's many people before me who've experienced it and written on it uh, and thought about it and wrestled with it in their communities. And it's been exposed to all sorts of situations down through history. Well, the Bible is kind of like our anchor that it says, if we can draw a connection between our present experience of the gospel and the gospel as described in the Bible, then we are talking about the gospel of the Bible. And that's kind of what our goal is here. So in a way, the Bible is a means to test the spirits to see if the religious uh, interpretation that we're working with or that we're building on or that we're experiencing is in fact the one 
that deserves to be called Christian, the one that's in continuity with the good news of the Bible. And so it's the Bible is an anchor for us in that sense. It doesn't mean that we can simply uh, download or, or photocopy the religion of the, of the Bible and make it our own. That's not what I mean. What we really have to do is see whether our current religion is in a suitable amount of continuity with the religion of the Bible in the experiential sense. So that's kind of the way I approach that. Excellent. Okay, let's, uh, let's move further. Uh, so reading the Bible can be rather dangerous. Let's talk about some of the dangers that people run into when they start reading the Bible, especially when you're reading it for the first time with no context whatsoever, what happens? Okay, well, so back to the sort of the sacramental idea of the Bible. Um, that I think that the, I think that it's very helpful to think of it this way is that we want to read the Bible, but really what happens is that the Bible reads us. It really is, is backwards. And so if I come across, um, a passage and there are such passages that says that God hates sinners or God hates my enemies were, or the, the, the author's enemies. I, I've got a choice. I got to say, is that true? Or is that not true? Like, do I believe that the God of my religious experience is someone who hates sinners and hates enemies? And, uh, and, and I can say yes or no, right? Um, now I want to say, no, I don't think that when I read a description like that in the Bible, I think it says more about the person who wrote it than it does about the God they were trying and failing to describe. Um, and in the same way, as we read the Bible, it provokes in us these decisions about who do you say that I am? Is God a God of love or a God of hate? Uh, and we'll find enough in the Bible to provoke us down either path. And we really do choose the path as we read the Bible. Uh, hopefully in response to the spirit of God at work in the present. Great. So the Christian Bible, we divide it into the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? So one famous way to refer to God is as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. In the New Testament, uh, what you read or hear the most is, God being referred to as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the early church, there were struggles to put these two together. Like nowadays, we realize, well, it's the same book, it's the same God. But back in the day, we know that there were Christians who believed that there should be a strong distinction. Some went as far as to say that maybe we should get rid of the Old Testament. Why do we need it? We can just stick to the letters of Paul and maybe one of the Gospels. And that's all we need because this is the good stuff. We don't even know if that deity in the Old Testament is the same as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are we talking about here? So you're talking about... One of the first conflicts in the in the early early-ish church, say the first 150 years, and this is with a leader named Marcion, and his and he found that in his interpretation of Christianity, such as it was back then, um, 
the God described in the Old Testament, he was convinced that that could not have been the father of Jesus Christ. And so it was easier for him to say, the God of the Old Testament is a lesser God than the father of Jesus Christ. And, and for that reason, he was able to, he wanted to dismiss the Old Testament um, and basically dismiss the Jewish uh, faith almost wholesale. And, uh, and in the early church, there was a strong consensus and a decision that this was not the way that Christianity should go. And it became, I, I think this is maybe one of the earliest sort of creeds before Nicaea, before Chalcedon, and it would be simply this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is before we have a doctrine of the Trinity. This is before we have a doctrine of the two natures. We've got that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for that reason, when we read the Old Testament uh, in light of this interpretation, we're reading about the Father of Jesus Christ. And the whole point of Jesus is to bring us the Father, to bring us to the Father. So the Old Testament is for Christians a way to read and have the Bible ask them, who do you say that my father is, basically? I think that's a way to put it. And, and, and yeah, but so talking about the danger here, the danger is, is that Marcion identified a path to basically marginalizing an entire, um, an entire faith, <laughs> a way to dismiss the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion, such as it was in those days, wholesale. And you know what? That's happened again throughout history. Christians have had a very bad track record um, in their relationship with, with the Jewish faith as it's evolved uh, since the first century as well. And, and a lot of that comes from reading the Bible um, and, and, having, and, and having it polarize in a dangerous direction. And I would say against the, against the influence of the Spirit of God. Yeah, so I think what happens is ever since the reformers, for sure, we have more access to the Bible and we try to read the Bible in light of our context. So, for example, people read the book of Galatians or the reformers did anyways, right? And so they are really reading into this letter that Paul's basically against the Catholic Church. Paul versus the Catholic Church. That's the book of Galatians, right? And so justification by grace through faith alone. It's a recovery of Paul's gospel. And that's not exactly what's going on in the book of Galatians. And I see that this is one way in which how we read the Bible in light of our present can be very dangerous. I think by and large, the reformers were correct in all of their, not all, but a lot of their soteriolo soteriological conclusions or in their doctrine of salvation, but I mean, they definitely uh, wrongly use the Bible at times. Yeah, and this is this is why the Bible can be dangerous. Is that I think that the main danger is at the level of your enemies or your neighbors. Um, how do you interpret your neighbors and your enemies? And if you go into the Bible and you give it a blank check, so that whatever it says is the word of God, and you can just swallow it. Um, and you see people hating their enemies, which there are in the Bible, people who hate their enemies, then you think, oh, well, hating my enemies is biblical. 
I need land. I'll just push out the Canaanites, whoever those Canaanites happen to be. I'll just push them out. <laughs> um, or, or uh, in the New Testament, in the book of John, you have lots of language that's really um, hostile towards the Jewish neighbors of the community that passed on the book of John to us, which was probably also a Jewish community for that matter. And so the, the danger is that if you haven't taken on board the lesson that God loves sinners, that God loves enemies, that God loves your enemies, the Bible can lead you to hate your enemies. Because if you've missed that lesson, um, there's plenty of material that will push you towards hating your enemies. And it'll push you without even, and it'll push you there with a religious zeal and a religious fervor that you won't even realize is a mistake because you think you're just safely reading your Bible when really it's quite dangerous. Um, so, so anyway, the very fact that we call the Old Testament the Old Testament and that modern Jewish people call it the Hebrew Bible or we call it their Hebrew Bible um, is the fact that we're sharing this part of the anthology at least um, we're claiming that the God we worship is also the God that they worship. And there's plenty of room for friction. Uh, there's plenty of room for friction. And so it's very dangerous. You have to be very careful. We need to be led by the spirit um, that leads us to love our enemies. If it comes to that, hopefully we're not talking about enemies. We're just talking about neighbors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so I like how we talked about two books here. We talked about Galatians, how it was miss used as a book in which Paul is uh, debunking Catholic theology. Uh, we talked about the book of John and how there's the language of the Jews, right? <laughs> and so people read the book and they're like, oh, wow. I guess the early Christians really had an intense struggle against the Jews not understanding that it's talking about certain Jewish leaders and not understanding uh, the historical context for that uh, struggle. Uh, one of my favorite books that I've ever read is by Raymond Brown. He was a Catholic theologian. And I read a commentary, a short book actually, not the commentary, a short book that he wrote after the commentary where he basically lays out what he believes happened with the Johannine community. How did it come into being? What were the issues that they had with these enemies and how did it come to, how did this struggle come to uh, be seated in the gospel of John? And so there's a lot that we need to learn about here. We don't have time to go over this here, but I would definitely suggest to anybody who wants to know more about this, look up Raymond E. Brown, and just Google it, put Raymond E. Brown, Johannine Community, you'll, you'll, you'll find the book. Uh, another person that I would suggest would be a good source to learn more about this is uh, Jürgen Moltmann. Jürgen Moltmann's 94 years old. He's a reformed theologian. He's German. And so he's definitely had to struggle and work through this at a very deep level. He has great insights that we can learn from. He has a whole Christology where he's basically writing about Christ in dialogue, almost in every page with the best of Jewish philosophers and thinkers. That's another good resource. And lastly, I would mention J. Lois Martin. 
recently wrote a magisterial commentary on the book of Galatians. It's 600 pages for a six chapter letter. And he has lots and lots of good thoughts on what's going on with the original struggle between quote unquote, the Jews and Christians. Uh, I know in prior discussions, you talked about how in the beginning, Christianity was originally a Jewish movement or a Jewish sect. And then Paul and other people start bringing in Gentiles. So the question becomes, can we let Gentiles in? Of course, they say, yeah, we can let them in. Eventually, the Gentiles outnumber the Jewish believers. And so the question reverses. Should we even have Gentiles in here? Should we even have Jewish believers in here? And so it's really interesting how this reversal occurred. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I just think it's important. Um, I think it's important that we just try to do the right thing in the modern world. Uh, it would be wonderful if none of our biblical authors had any odious prejudices. And so there's many, there's much biblical research being done to see what was their perspective. What did they really think? Were they really, when they said those terrible things, were they really meaning it? And I just think like, it doesn't matter. Um, what are we going to do about it now? What are we going to do about it now? Living as a Christian in the 21st century with the memories of the 20th century right behind me. Um, I need to know that God loves everybody end of the story. And, uh, and I don't give a damn what the biblical authors say beyond that. This is the, this is the, the bedrock of, of our Christian experience today. And, um, and with or without Paul and John and the joining community, we are going to, um, we're going to oppose any, any approach that's sort of like a, a biblical prejudice against Jewish people or against any other group of people or religion. So. Great. Excellent. I like it. Okay, well, let's continue our conversation. Now let's talk about not the dangers, but what is a safer, better way to read the Bible? Yeah, so, but, well, as we said before, um, Bible as is an anthology and and the common theme that brings this anthology together for me and for many others is, is this common gospel. And so the key is to interpret the Bible in light of its own gospel, to judge the Bible against its own gospel. Um, now, if, I, if you go to the Anabaptist traditions, you'll notice that they are kind of down this path already because they recognize that in the in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, we have a lot of conquests narratives going on where we have we have stories about the founding of the nation of ancient Israel um, involving displacing the Canaanites and so on. And and this is like it's hard to swallow that if you're a pacifist <laughs> as a biblical text. If you're a pacifist, if you're a pacifist and also a biblicist, it's, it's really tough to, to put those two together. So out of those sort of competing tensions, like an interest in a, a deep appreciation for the Bible and a deep commitment to nonviolence, um, Anabaptists, as far as I understand, will tend to read their Bible in light of Jesus. They'll say that Jesus is the source, is, is what we use to judge the rest of the Bible. And I think that's a good start. Um, Jesus, unfortunately, as somebody has observed, I think it was Albert Schweitzer or someone he quoted, 
He's like a well. We, uh, you look down the well of history and at the bottom, you just see your own reflection. So when we talk about Jesus and interpreting the Bible through Jesus, it's very much the case that often we're just interpreting the Bible through our own reflection at the bottom of the well. And so we need to get a little bit deeper than just use Jesus to interpret the Bible. We need to go down to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is hidden in the cross of Christ. It's hidden in the actions that Jesus took, his obedience unto death to his father, as we tried to talk about in the past two episodes. Uh, and so we want to interpret the Bible by its own gospel. And we want to interpret the Bible. We want to interpret the gospel itself by the actions of Jesus, his obedience unto death. Right. Uh, another thing we should do is to allow for different voices in the Bible. So I think it's important to always read and study outside of whatever tradition we were raised in. I know that for me, that has been uh, the greatest source of growth and understanding when I'm able to read the Bible or to read theology from perspectives that 10, 15 years ago, I would have never known about or considered that has been just life-changing so uh, i would highly encourage people to read the bible and commentaries maybe th theology books from perspectives other than whatever perspective you grew up in so if you're methodist for example hey why not maybe you should read a systematic theology by a reformed theologian Karl bart bruner Whoever, that's a good idea. Uh, also, we want to make sure that we listen to communities that have not been listened to historically for whatever reasons, historical or not. So for example, liberation theology, right? Liberation theology, it's becoming popular. I think it's a very good thing to look into. People should read it. Uh, Black liberation theology, excellent. People should read it. People should study it. It's really, really important as well as people who are doing theology, for example, with ecology in mind. Like there is a whole liberation of the earth theology almost. I'm sure they don't call it that, but that's the idea. I think it's important to look at the Bible, look at theology from all of these perspectives that are alien to us, that we cannot personally relate or understand, but it's important for us to be able to uh, read and interpret the Bible with their thoughts in mind as well. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Peter Forsyth wrote something along the lines of, um, he said, theology is thinking in centuries. And what he meant by that is that he was trying to defend against the idea that, oh, if I can't use it in my pastoral ministry, it's worthless. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, I don't know. I guess like the big customer base for the Bible is often pastors. Um, and they're largely involved with dealing with individuals and the families and, and how to, how to best offer advice and wisdom and support and comfort and challenge at the, at the individual day-to-day -day life or family level life, or, or even like a, a church community level life. But this thing called Christianity that we're in, it, it's not just households and families and church bodies. It's centuries. Like, um, I'm sharing the same faith, a faith with continuity that goes back to Marcion, for instance, <laughs> that we talked about earlier, and to Augustine and to, um, and to others. And so 
I, I didn't invent this Christianity thing for myself. I didn't, I'm not the first person to experience it. Um, and the people who are going to experience it in the future, they're going to be influenced to some extent by what I did now and how I interpreted the faith now. Uh, and so it, it really does, it really is valuable to think theologically, to think in the long term, to ask, do these ideas we have bear fruit? Does this interpretation of the Bible do damage in the world? Or is it a source of healing? Um, what interpretations in the past are kind of responsible for the harms that we're experiencing today? How can we have these persistent intergenerational sins, um, like how we're treating the earth, how we're organizing our lives economically, um, how we're treating minorities, how we've developed these sort of caste systems within our, within our societies? Um, what resources have been used from the Bible to prop up these evils? And, uh, and what resources from the Bible are available to undo that damage? Um, I think somewhere in the Bible, it says it's a double-edged sword or something. So maybe this is not what they meant, but <laughs> it is a double-edged sword. It can do just as much damage as healing. Um, and we want to be on the side of the healing as we read the Bible. Yeah, exactly. So the Bible has been used to oppress entire civilizations, nations, but the Bible has also been used to liberate and so we definitely want the Bible to be a source of liberation and healing in everything that we do with it. So thank you for that. Okay, so I want to share a quote from P.T. Forsyth uh, that's become one of my favorites. It's really simple. He says, what we need is a fresh immersion in the Bible that is both experiential and scholarly. So this has become one of my favorite quotes because it's so short and simple, but it says so much at the same time. So we want to have a continual, fresh immersion in the Bible. So how do we do that? How do we have a fresh immersion of the Bible when maybe you've read the text 20, 30 times? Well, you have to do all these things that we've been doing about. It. Don't just read it on your own. Use all the resources, look at it from different points of view. And he says it needs to be experiential and scholarly. I think for the last 10 years or so, give or take, I don't really keep a good record of these things, but I've been doing a lot of scholarly reading because I wanted to understand what's going on in the Bible. So I did that. I've read commentaries. I've studied, I've studied the work of different theologians. And I'm at the point where I feel like I, I've, I've done the scholarly part. And now for 2021, I think what I want to do is I really want to focus on the experiential part, which is to engage the Bible, not just to interpret, to understand, to learn, but just to really have a deeper encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's my reading goal for the year. To do that but i think it's important for all of us to to ask ourselves how can i deepen my reading of the bible in in these two ways yeah that's great um i'm kind of reminded of some of the authors i've spent some time on hr uh, mcintosh is one of them and he just uh he really recommended reading the gospels uh from the perspective of of just spending time with the person of Jesus through reading 
the gospel is letting them make an impression upon you uh, to kind of spend your time with this literary portrait of the man Jesus of Nazareth. And then he describes his experience essentially that it's like you're looking at a painting and all of a sudden the eyes start following you <laughs> as you walk around the room or you're looking at the statue and all of a sudden it comes to life. Uh, that there's a way many people have reported this experience that as they spend time with the Jesus uh, as portrayed in the gospels, he becomes alive to them in a, in a, in a, in their present life in a, in a way um, where they were evaluating him and all of a sudden he is evaluating them. Uh, they mm. begin to feel, they begin to feel the moral imperative or the ethical imperative that, that his, that his presence begins to rub off on them in that way. Um, so that's, that's one of the great benefits of the gospels, for instance. Um, on the other hand, if, if you want to read, if you read Paul or at least the early Pauline letters, um, you get a different impression. Like this time, instead of spending time with Jesus, you're spending time with somebody who is just so obviously driven by the spirit of Jesus and who's writing before these portraits of Jesus were written. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you get a, you can get a sense of like, do I have a, a teaspoon of the experience of God in Christ that the apostle Paul had? And you can, and you can watch for, for your own experience of God to grow sort of against the way Paul describes it in his own life and work. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah, excellent. Another thing that P.T. Forsyth said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says that he's talking to preachers at this point, I think in one of the articles or books, I don't remember, but he basically says to them, we must master the New Testament. Of course, don't take the language too literally. What he's really saying is that we really have to know the New Testament as Christians or as ministers. I mean, he's, he's addressing ministers, I think, at the time. So he says, you have to really know your New Testament. You have to understand it. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about that and why this is important? Well, if, if by gospel you mean the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will only find it in the New Testament because there is no recorded or reported Jesus Christ before the New Testament. <laughs> he was born uh, around the time of those or before those writings. So uh, so the, our approach to the Old Testament is a little bit different than our approach to the New Testament, um, partly because it's a shared piece of religious literature with the Jewish people and with Muslim people as well. Um, yeah, but the New Testament, like this is, this is a, I'm not sure how to put this, but like this is where Christianity starts to set out on its own. Um, and so it is kind of like our, our founding documents. Uh, it's not like the documents founded the faith, but the new faith produced these documents. And everything we do in the future will have to find some sort of continuity back to this New Testament. So it isn't really like a constitution of Christianity, um, although some people treat it that way. But it it is the means by which we test the spirits to see if that which we're encountering today is in fact the gospel of Jesus Christ or something else. Uh, it doesn't have to be done in the same words or in the same language or with the same concepts, but this is the, this is the ultimate litmus test of our experience today. We need to compare our experience today with the experience of the new Testament. Yeah. Uh, 
So I, yeah, there's no substitute for, for, for knowing the new Testament. Well, yeah, well here, this is just an anecdote. Uh, every year around this time, right? There's it's new year's in a couple of days now people say, okay, I'm going to read the Bible this year. So I thought it would, it would be perfect to talk about Bible reading in today's episode. Um, and I noticed that, for example, there are tons of Bible reading plans out there, right? One of them that uh, I, I followed through a long time ago took you from Genesis through Revelation in order. So I remember I followed it, and it wasn't until October. It wasn't until October that I started the book of Matthew. So I went, I don't know, six, seven, eight months without reading the New Testament. And so now looking back, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But ideally, if we're trying to master the New Testament, to really understand the New Testament, I would say for about reading plan like that, that that's not ideal to give so much weight to, for example, Obadiah than the Gospel of John or Philippians. Um, I'm probably going off on a tangent here, but just going back to P.T.'s Forsyth, I think uh, whatever method or plan you decide to use if you want to read the Bible in 2021, I think, uh, I think it's definitely a good idea to make sure that, uh, that you give weight to your books in the Bible. Okay, so books that have been tested and tried and true as being just especially helpful are the Gospels, of course. People have different Gospels that they like. Personally, I like John the best. Uh, Paul's letters, I love Paul's letters. And to me, I really believe that Paul and John in conjunction are the zenith of New Testament revelation. So I would really encourage anyone out there, if you really want to understand the gospel, if you really want to understand the New Testament, then you really have to pay a lot of attention to what's going on with Paul and John. Of course, James is nice, First Peter is nice as well, but really, really spend some time with Paul and John. How about you? What would you encourage people to do? Um, yeah, I, I would encourage people to appreciate that Paul is written before the Gospels. So if you want to know what's like chronologically first in the, in the New Testament, you've got to read um, some of Paul's letters first. And then the pastoral epistles, which are written in Paul's name, but it's not clear that they're written by Paul. They're much later. They're in a different layer. I started reading uh, Marcus Borg's Chronological New Testament, which I found pretty interesting, where he puts them in what he considers to be most likely order of, of when they were written. And, and that's a really fascinating approach because you do see an evolution of the Christian faith within the New Testament from early to later portions of it. Mm -hmm. And you've got to ask yourselves, how do you feel about that? those changes over time? How do we feel about the more Episcopal approach of the later New Testament versus the more communal and, um, I don't know, democratic approach of the, uh, or congregationalist approach of the early New Testament, uh, for instance. And so, so yeah, it's, if you, appreciating these layers is really nice. And, and I certainly come to have my favorite layers of the New Testament and parts I'm not as interested in, um, but maybe I should brush up on the parts that I'm not as interested in as well. But I just wanted to say also, so yes, we do want to master the New Testament uh, as as Christians, 
Um, but I want to talk about the Old Testament once more. Uh, so I found that there was a helpful essay by Emil Bruner, and he says that uh, our understanding of the Old Testament is always, and especially today, decisive for our understanding of the New Testament. So at, a, at an instrumental level, if you want to understand the New Testament, you have to also understand the Old Testament. Um, so how much Old Testament reading does it take to understand enough to get what you need out of the New Testament? Like, I don't know. I think we're, I think we're continually working towards a better understanding of both. But, but we just can't leave the Old Testament behind and become New Testament-only Christians. Um, mm-hmm. Why not? The reason is, is because, like we said at the beginning, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if the New Testament is all about Jesus revealing God to us, um, the first question is, well, which God is he revealing to us? <laughs> and the answer is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and, and so for one very practical example, Emil Bruner, he writes that the Old Testament knows nothing of a world escaping, world negating aesthetic tendency. Right? You do, you do get a, in the New Testament, you get a sense that the end is upon us. The end of the world has come down upon us. It might not last very much longer. Um, no need to save. Just put all your money in the communal pot, <laughs> for instance. Um, no need to uh, get married. You know, it, it, if you need to, that's fine. But it probably, like, you probably, the world's going to be over pretty soon anyway. Like, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit here. But in the New Testament, you've got this real sense of urgency, like it is almost over, right? The Old Testament doesn't work that way. It's got, it's got this sense of history and, um, and God at work in history and kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you need that to, to balance out the, and to put in context some of the New Testament impulses. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're going to have a left behind uh, series every second generation in the church for the rest of time. So on the bestseller list. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, I think uh, what we just said about reading the New Testament and now about reading the Old Testament is a good way to probably end this episode. Uh, any last thoughts before we close this out? Nope. Sounds good. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you so much. I hope that you have an excellent 2021. Hopefully you will read the Bible and hopefully whatever you heard here will help you to read it uh, in a safer, healthier way. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Experiential Theology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Please rate the podcast in whatever platform you use and share it with whomever you think would enjoy our subject here. You could also leave a voice message by going to anchor.fm backslash experiential theology.